Welcome, everyone. I am Tori, and this is the Live Well Lumberjack podcast. Today, we'll be speaking with Don Clifford, a professor at NAU. Don teaches courses in nutrition education and behavior change counseling. Don conducts research and is an accomplished speaker in the areas of motivational interviewing and non-diet approaches to health and wellness. She is a member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers and is the author of 5-Minute MI, Motivational Interviewing in Nutrition and Health When Time is Short, and co-author of Motivational Interviewing in Nutrition and Fitness. We are so excited for you to listen in on this insightful and interesting conversation about wellness, weight bias, and weight stigma. Welcome, Lumberjacks. Come explore the world of wellness with us. This podcast offers you an opportunity to listen in on passionate discussions surrounding health and wellness. Through these conversations, we hope to provide fresh, engaging takes on contemporary topics that explore health, well-being, identity, and social justice issues. So listen in and live well. Okay. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this month's episode of Live Well Lumberjacks. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Megan Meyer. Hi, Megan. Hi, Tori. And we will be chatting with Don Clifford, who is a member of the health sciences faculty. So hi, Don. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you and have this conversation. Um, Can you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself and what you do on campus? Yeah, so I'm a professor in nutrition and public health, and I um, also run a health coaching program on campus called UCAN, stands for University Coaching for Activity and Nutrition. And I'm finishing up my fourth year at NAU Um, And I teach in the undergraduate and graduate programs. And my my area of specialty is in health communication and specifically individual communication in promoting uh, ways we can communicate with clients to promote and support behavior change for those who are interested. And um, also in the health at every size paradigm, non-diet weight inclusive approaches to supporting health and well-being. Um, And so I just have the honor of teaching students these concepts that I think are complete game changers when it comes to supporting um, their future clients and patients on their health and well-being journeys. Awesome. I love that. So you mentioned health at every size. Can you elaborate just a little bit more on that for our listeners who might not know what that is? Absolutely. Yes. So health at every size is a paradigm that was born out of the fat acceptance movement. And it um, basically is a way to describe caring for um, oneself or for others in a weight inclusive fashion. And that's very different from a weight centric um, paradigm. So a weight centric paradigm is sort of what people often call like a traditional approach to health and well-being. A person goes to the doctor and uh, or the dietitian, and they say, oh, to improve your health, lose weight. Um, And they continue on uh, their way, you know, eat 
eat less, exercise more um, sort of approach. And we know now from research, there's adequate research to support the fact that that approach just doesn't work. And it, it leads to um, weight cycling, yo-yo dieting, disordered eating, and, um, and weight stigma, which is the topic of our talk today. And so a uh, weight inclusive health at every size approach is about really taking the focus off of weight and um, inviting those who are interested to pursue uh, positive health behaviors um, for the sake of just improved energy levels, improved vitality, improved well-being, but also it is a social justice movement. So um, the core of the Health at Every Size movement is about equal um, care and equal access to people in all bodies and putting an end to weight stigma, uh, bias and discrimination, and really just um, supporting supporting everyone on their health journeys, reducing the judgment and upping the compassion. Um, and that that is probably, research is showing that is a better approach because we know that the stress that people experience when they're told to lose weight um, and, and the, just the stress of weight stigma is causing more health harm. Um, and so uh, it's just been such a, exciting journey to be part of this movement and to um, let get the word out uh, to, to folks about uh, how important it is that we as a culture shift our paradigm from a weight-centric to a weight-inclusive approach in the way we care for people. Awesome, thanks. And I love that you included that it, or mentioned that it is social justice, like a social justice framework, because I think it, it can, like when people hear health at every size, it can sometimes make us like pause and step back because that's not what we're traditionally taught, especially for people who are going into some form of healthcare, um, just like you mentioned, Don. And so when we really step back and say like people in all bodies deserve, you know, joyful movement and nourishing foods and compassionate care, I think it's a really, really, like really nice way to think about just how we treat each other. So thank you for sharing that. Um, um, so on to weight stigma. Um, what is weight stigma and how do you define it? Yeah, and as we dive into that topic, um, I also just want to share that um, I have some expertise in weight stigma because um, I do uh, research in this area, but I um, don't, I, I hold a lot of privileges. So I am in a thin body. I identify um, as cis gender, heterosexual, white. Um, so I hold a lot of privileges that um, that certainly keeps me from knowing what it what those lived experiences are like. And so um, I do my best to be an ally, but uh, I just want to hold that stance of humility in in that journey, understanding that um, I'm gonna screw up. And <laughs> I'm certainly imperfect in my attempts at allyship. So, um, just those, you know, little disclaimers as we get started. But um, weight stigma is um, is such an important topic, and I'm so glad that you're addressing it in this podcast. But um, it's really defined as stereotypes and labels that we assign people in larger bodies, and right along with weight stigma is weight bias. Weight bias being just negative biases towards people because of their weight. 
and weight discrimination, where um, sometimes these biases and stigmas sort of manifest into acts of discrimination where actions against people in larger bodies um, can occur um, that can cause, of course, you know, inequities, exclusion, et cetera. And also, um, as far as the language we use today in this podcast, um, larger bodies, people in larger bodies is a phrase I'll often use. Um, people who are in larger bodies uh, often prefer the term fat and uh, identify themselves as fat. And in our culture, that word um, is a negative word. And this really gets at the heart of weight stigma, right? Like we're not even comfortable using the word fat, which means as a culture, we have a major issue uh, with weight stigma, but really weight or fat, the word fat is just the opposite of thin, um, just as short is the opposite of tall. It's an adjective um, and there's no negative meaning behind the word, unless of course people use it in a slanderous way. Um, so if you hear me use the word fat, just know that I'm just using that as a very neutral adjective because uh, those in the fat acceptance community have shared a preference for that word in terms of reclaiming that word. Um, and also know that if you use that word out in society um, freely, you may get some dirty looks. Um, and so just be aware that whenever using that word, it's helpful to sort of help frame the context of your use of that word for people. And together, we can reclaim that word and, and make it a non-bad non word anymore. Um, <laughs> so I, I provided a definition of, of weight stigma. Um, I just want to make sure I answered um, all the parts of that last question that you asked. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for expanding on those definitions, too. I think that's always really helpful just to to know that we might sometimes say fat, we might say people in larger bodies, and um, those are just descriptive words and nothing else, at least for the intent of this podcast today. I can't speak to the rest of the world, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And I, oh, sorry. I love the idea of reclaiming that word and just turning it into a word that's just an adjective like any other short, tall, skinny, fat, you know, it's, they're all just adjectives. So when we take the negativity out of that word, um, I think it's gonna be a, a great tool to use for, for people of all sizes, so. Um, awesome, so you talked about weight stigma. So how prevalent do you think it is in today's culture and society? Do you think that a lot of people are experiencing weight stigma? Yes, um, it is unfortunately incredibly prevalent um, and the latest research is showing that it's on the rise. It has dramatically increased um, over the last few decades. And now the prevalence is very similar to racial, racial dis uh, stigmas and discrimination. And so um, it's really uh, unfortunate that it, 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 the prevalence is so high. And um, I think what's also challenging about this particular um, form of oppression in terms of you know being stigmatized for for being in a larger body is that um, there's this belief that stigmatizing people um, for their weight motivates them to lose weight and really the outcome is exactly opposite and so sometimes um, the topic of weight stigma doesn't make the list. 
that you see in terms of the ways we as society celebrate diversity. So on those um, lists, you often see uh, race, you know, that we want to celebrate diversity in terms of race and sexual orientation and gender and all and um, physical abilities and all of this, but weight is often left off of these, you know, um, mission statements. And I think that that's part of our job as, as advocates is that uh, we need to bring more attention to this particular um, area of social justice because it's getting left off those lists and really body size is just another form of diversity and the beautiful things that make up our differences um, that need to be celebrated. So yeah. I can also kind of expand on like where stigma is occurring. I mean, it's occurring everywhere. Um, and I, I found one study where um, they kind of asked like, where, where are you, you know, where are you experiencing weight stigma? And um, women are particularly more stigmatized. Um, and they mentioned the sectors like employment, they experience stigma in, in their jobs, in education, um, certainly in media, we can talk all day about media, um, romantic relationships, um, and, you know, weight stigma is pervasive in healthcare settings. And so um, patients are observing or experiencing or being on the receiving end of weight stigma when they visit their doctors, from nurses, um, dietitians. I'm a dietitian, so that hurts me. Um, and of course, uh, even medical students. So it brings to light also the need for our training of healthcare professionals, which we do a lot of here at NAU in terms of physical therapists and occupational therapists and dietitians, et cetera. So how are we training people to go out in the world and care for people in larger bodies? Yeah, and I think that's a really great way. You know, we might not have an exact statistic on the prevalence, but you really do see weight stigma in really every aspect of a person's life. I mean, I've heard countless stories, right, of patients who were denied care for something because they were just told to lose weight and then came back and found out they had like a tumor or something like very seriously wrong, right? Or their thyroid wasn't working. And, and you know, they were just given the blanket advice of like, just eat less and move more and you'll be fine, right? And so I think that's a really good way to put it. Not good that it happens, of course. Yeah, and I found also just one study from uh, Rebecca Poole, who is um, does a lot of research in weight stigma. If you want to see all the things about weight stigma, type in P-U-H-L and weight stigma, and you will see um, just loads of research. But in 2006, um, she did a study and found the most stigmatizing situations that were reported by participants were um, making negative assumptions. So others basically kind of having low expectations about you because of your weight, receiving nasty comments from children. That's really interesting, right? Countering physical barriers and obstacles in terms of like public accommodations being too small, you know, for your body mm -hmm. um, and encountering inappropriate comments from doctors and receiving negative comments from family members. So I just wanted to mention that was an interesting list um, of, of spaces where uh, people have shared um, 
that they are on the receiving end of, of these attacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Well, maybe we'll put that research in the show notes too. Um, yeah, okay, so kind of on that same line, you know, what are some of the effects, the physical or mental, emotional um, of weight stigma? You know, really how does weight stigma impact people's everyday lives? Yeah, um, in so many ways, unfortunately. Um, and so this really is a public health issue um, because weight stigma hurts health. And um, it can trigger both physiologic uh, responses. Um, it can trigger negative, you know, or behavior changes that are not so much health supporting. Um, and it's linked to uh, poor metabolic health. Uh, weight stigma is linked to increased weight gain. And so I can sort of just explain some of these physiologic mechanisms. But basically, when you're on the receiving end of stigma, bias, discrimination, whether it's from um, weight or race or any of the other uh, forms of oppression, you, you, your response is a stress response. So that results in increased cortisol level um, and cortisol in our body um, does lots of things that basically worsens metabolic health. Um, and so the other result that's kind of interesting is when people are on the receiving end of of weight stigma, they tend to eat more to cope. And so there have been studies where they've basically subject participants to stigmatizing um, interventions, which sounds horrible. I'm like, who would ever agree to be in these studies? And then they tracked you know, their eating patterns and things and found that people who received those messages um, ate more immediately after um, being on the receiving end of those messages. Um, and I believe that's true for people in all body shapes and sizes. And uh, weight stigma is associated with avoidance of exercise. So yeah, telling people, you know, eat less, exercise more, you know, lose weight, it's completely backfiring. And um, we see these ill effects in terms of overall health and well-being. Um, there was one study too, where they reported experiencing weight stigma had a 60% increased risk of dying independent wow. of BMI. So weight discrimination, 60% increased risk of dying, higher risk of dying independent of BMI. So it really brings into question, you know, we see all these studies that link weight to mortality and mm -hmm. studies that link weight to morbidity or like disease like, oh, you know, um, people who are overweight or obese are more likely to, um, to have type two diabetes, um, you know, those types of statistics. And it's very easy for the consumer to go, oh, see, people just need to lose weight. Like that'll fix everything, right? Um, but these researchers who find these associations and that's all they are, they're just associations. There's no causal relationship between weight and disease or weight and mortality, but they see these links, these associations and don't, and the consumer doesn't realize that the researcher did not control for weight stigma. The researcher didn't even look at other confounding variables um, like weight stigma, which we now know is actually a huge piece of this puzzle. Um, and, and sometimes they don't even control for things like poverty levels, you know, smoking, alcohol intake, diet, physical activity. 
So these studies are just highly flawed, but people just take them to the bank and go, oh yeah, see, people need to lose weight. And it's just so unfortunate because epidemiology um, is a great science and practice, but um, these studies are often highly limited because there are so many confounding variables when it comes to looking at the relationship between weight and health. Wow, that's so interesting to think about. There are all these studies that people are basing so many decisions off of that are so flawed. It's just so unfortunate. Yes, and we have a lot of work to do to dispel some of these myths. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that um, people tend to eat more after experiencing weight stigma. Do you think that weight stigma contributes to like a type of disordered eating, whether that's eating too much, eating not enough, binging and purging? How do you think that relates? Yes, and, and that is all possible. Um, those are possible, very possible reactions to weight stigma. And I think, um, you know, there is just this general self-loathing that occurs when a person's on the receiving end of weight stigma. And that's going to result in all the coping tools, right? Um, and so if a person maybe grew up, um, didn't have uh, what was needed in terms of uh, learning healthy coping tools, um, they they may only know <laughs> certain coping tools like uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, food. There could be all sorts of um, sort of unhealthy, I guess, responses to, um, to cope in the world, no matter what the stressor is. Um, so it makes a lot of sense that researchers kind of found that um, increased eating was a response, one of the probably many coping tool responses to being on the receiving end of weight stigma. And yes, that could absolutely um, be a disordered eating, um, sort of just those subclinical, but maybe like incident specific reactions, or maybe that's really a pattern. Um, and it could, of course, you know, link itself to a clinical eating disorder as well. Um, but yeah, uh, binging certainly um, can be a common reaction. And what often occurs after binges for some people is, okay, now I really need to restrict and I feel guilty and I feel shame. And so now I'm going to really try to do better tomorrow, you know, and then we know that restriction um, usually is, is short term. Um, and then, oh, I just, I really miss that food, you know? And, and so there's that deprivation where um, you're, it, usually restriction just intensifies cravings and intensifies hunger. And um, so a person holds out <laughs> for a little while, but then like, oh, just forget it. And then there's, there's not just, oh, I'll go eat that brownie, but there's this extreme like, oh, I miss this food, you know, and, and eating um, in large quantities. And then the cycle kind of repeats itself like, oh, now I feel so guilty and now I feel shame and now I need to do, you know, an increased resolve to do better the next day or week or month. And so that really kind of describes that dieting cycle that people often find themselves in. And I think the weight stigma piece um, often is a trigger for that cycle. Can I add to that, Don? Because I think all of that is great. And I think it's really, you know, when we think back to even just a traditional medical model or public health messaging, 
we really ask folks in larger bodies at times to engage in pretty disordered eating behaviors, whether that's, you know, medically monitored, very low calorie diets or diet pills. So things that in maybe someone in a smaller body would automatically get picked up as an eating disorder, but because of their body size, right, we're saying, well, great, good job. And we're praising it when the reality is, is they're really hurting too. And their relationship with food and their body is really hurting too. And you still see that underlying fear of weight gain and, um, and probably more intensified sometimes too. And so I think it works both ways, right? So stigma creating unhealthy coping skills and um, really this intense pressure to lose weight at all costs. Yes, that's such a good point. And I'm so glad you added that piece into this conversation. Oops, sorry, I was muted. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So, so thinking about along these lines, you know, how we sort of touched on this a little bit. Um, how would you say the media contributes to this idea of weight stigma? And are there other contributing factors? So maybe it's related to COVID and, you know, the quarantine 15 messaging, or maybe it's, you know, we're headed into summer season. So are there summer bodies or, you know, fitness and dieting things saying get ready for swimsuits or anything like that? Yeah, exactly. That's, those are all the problems, right? <laughs> um, all, all of the above. That is what is happening. And that is, that is, those are huge problems that are contributing to weight stigma. So, um, and I think, a lot of times too, you know, diet has become a four letter word, like a bad word. <laughs> and um, that's been really interesting because in the past, um, you know, maybe it was like, oh, what's the latest fad diet? Oh, I'm trying this diet. I'm trying that diet. And so in some ways, society's gotten the memo that diets don't work. So it's like, well, I'm not following a diet. I'm just making lifestyle changes. But then you ask people like, oh, what what type of changes and it's a diet they're just not wanting to use that word right um, right and so that makes it extra tricky um and so i really in my in the work that i do define diet as the pursuit of weight loss so it really doesn't matter like the method the form the gentle lifestyle changes the you know the mm -hmm. fad diet anytime a person is encouraged to pursue weight loss then we're worsening weight stigma for the society as a whole. And so um, all of those messaging that you see on Instagram um, and uh, even again, the messaging in the doctor's office um, is, is, is damaging. And thinking too about um, how the media portrays people in larger bodies um, is, just it's horrendous when you open your eyes to the weight stigma world you see it everywhere and so uh, the example um is homer simpson mm -hmm. you know you watch homer simpson and he you know prides himself in being in a larger body and he um often you know eats and drinks and you know is lazy and that's sort of his character and persona and so those types of characters in the media um stigmatized right and so we all grew up constantly exposed to that media and we we all received messages growing up that certain bodies are acceptable and other bodies are not that certain patterns are acceptable and other patterns are not and so um even for me even someone who does weight stigma research like i'm sure i hold these unconscious biases because it's impossible not to 
because of the influence of media. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't try <laughs> to fight against these biases and um, become as aware as possible. But even reading my son when he was a kid, reading children's books, I was just blown away by the, um, the storylines and the characters surrounding body weight. It just broke my heart um, that even in children's books, we're seeing these stigmatizing messages. Yeah, do you feel that in the past couple years, you know, like social media and um, other media factors have been changing for the better? Like, do you think that people in larger bodies are being portrayed in a better way? Or do you think that it's kind of just been stagnant and nothing has really been changing? I do think there's been movement forward in that area and we have such a long way to go. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I'm glad you asked that because I do, I do see glimpses of it here and there or you might see an ad campaign or a company that's like, we're gonna show people in larger bodies in our commercials and advertisements. And um, that's certainly encouraging. Um, and yeah, we still have a really long way to go. So my hope is that um, that, that, that continues of course, and just um, this becomes a thing of the past. Yeah, so how do we get to that point that we, we, we want to get to, you know, like how, what are some steps that we can take either like for ourselves as an individual or um, like as a larger whole, like how do we start to change this culture? Yeah, I think at the individual level um, for people who are maybe listening, who have been on the receiving end of weight stigma, um, part of this journey, I would imagine, is learning how to communicate with people to express your needs, to advocate for your needs. Um, I've, I've heard so many horror stories of people in larger bodies going to see their doctor for like bronchitis and their doctor's like, you need to lose weight. And, and the patient's like, I'm here for my bronchitis. Like, uh, just give me the antibiotics. And so like really learning, of course, how to advocate for yourself and to be able to speak up and say, it's not okay that you just brought up my weight in this session um, and to explain, you know, why. But, you know, it's so, I hate that, that, that people would even have to do that, right? So of course the change needs to occur at a societal cultural level, but I just thinking about people um, individually um, learning how to set boundaries uh, in, in terms of the healthcare that's received, but also with friends and family members, you know, to be able to say like, hey, when you make comments about Aunt Judy's body, it's really easy for me to internalize those comments too. So I need you to stop. And if you can't, then I need to come home less often, you know? So really just kind of taking care of yourself um, and speaking what your needs are. And yeah, we need, we need more allies, you know, in this, in this in these advocacy efforts again even imperfect allies like myself um more of us just kind of speaking in unison and speaking together um to stand up for folks who really don't feel like they can say anything um so just taking that job as allies as seriously as we can um but also understanding our limits in terms of not having those lived experiences mm -hmm. um we can certainly build up some personal immunity if you're listening and you're like I just struggle with my body image like I hate my body um you know little things like 
changing your Instagram account so that you're following body um, positive people or people who align with health at every size, weight inclusive approaches, um, noticing, you know, moments where your self-talk, negative self-talk is higher and kind of exploring why that is. Um, maybe some body image counseling, um, a self-acceptance journey. There's lots of great books and workbooks and podcasts sort of out there. Um, but again, the bigger question is how can we change as a culture? And I think it's, you know, bringing up weight, body weight as another piece of the diversity puzzle. And we need to not stop until that occurs, until that is, is recognized as um, diversity and all of us basically just working together to inform, to educate, to address misinformation about weight and health. Um, and of course, promoting health from a weight inclusive approach. And Megan um, and you all in health promotion do a great job of really being intentional about promoting health behaviors without any sort of ties to weight. Um, and of course, you know, recognizing that uh, we don't want to pass negative judgment on someone who chooses not to participate in health behaviors. Mm -hmm. So doing our best to refrain from healthist comments and attitudes um, as well. Yeah, I love all that, Don. And I think I really love the idea of, you know, people in smaller bodies and thin bodies being allies, right? And so I think we also have a job, whether that's when we talk about diversity, talking about body size, or, you know, like setting those same boundaries with our friends and family saying like, hey, I don't actually really think it's okay that we talk about that celebrity's body or that celebrity's weight. So like, let's change the subject because there's bigger things to talk about anyways right now. Um, and then I think because I have a feeling we might end up with some like health related majors listening to this because health people always love to learn more about health, um, you know, in the research we do or in the work we end up doing with clients, how can we learn more about being really truly accepting and open and meeting our patients or clients where they're at to help change that culture from the medical side of things at least. Oh yeah, so important. And I, I oh, gosh, that is my hope, right? That people pursuing health professions hear this podcast. <laughs> Not just everybody. Uh, everybody needs to hear this podcast, but um, especially those pursuing those health professions. Mm -hmm. And the thing, yeah, because I. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And I just think, you know, like how much, like if we could shift the research, right. To focus more on health behavior and, you know, totally independently of weight, like how could we like shift the world? Right. And how could we change like future PE teachers or just in general educators or there, there could be this big shift, but people love research. And so we need the research there too, which is growing, right. but it's not as flashy sometimes is like weight-centered research. So I know it gets overlooked a lot. That's exactly it. It's not as flashy. <laughs> that uh, makes it really challenging um, for sure. And we didn't even talk too about how weight stigma hurts people in thin bodies. So you're in a thin body, you show up to the doctor's office and um, the doctor doesn't even bring up health behaviors because they make assumptions about your health behaviors based on your thinness. And we know that people in thin bodies eat well or eat nutrient dense foods, but we also know people in thin bodies certainly don't and, you know, physical activity. And, and so people in larger bodies, same thing. Um, people in larger bodies might have the, you know, super nutrient dense diet, like healthy relationship with food, physical activity, they're 
um, you know, feeling good personally about their health patterns. And then a doctor makes an assumption that, you know, they need to change their health patterns and they're like, dude, I'm actually killing it. Like, and so it's so unfortunate, um, when healthcare professionals make assumptions in both directions about, about people's behaviors based on purely their body size. Yeah, totally. I agree. Okay. So our, not quite our last question, because our last one's a fun one, but what are some of your favorite resources to share, you know, whether it's Instagram or resources on campus, anything for students who are trying to learn more about weight stigma or how to even, you know, take care of their body image or support their body image? Yeah, I just came across a really great infographic that I will share with you to post in the show notes. Um, from Canada that kind of def has definitions for weight stigma, bias, and discrimination. Um, also the Rudd Center, which is where Rebecca Poole does her research. Um, that's a, a good resource for um, weight stigma. Certainly not perfect, but, but a, useful studies to kind of explore um, the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health is a really great organization uh, full of people committed to um, this, this work. And so, and their membership rates are very inexpensive. So joining the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, if you want to really, you know, grow in your advocacy efforts, um, that is a great organization. Um, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, there's, a, oh, I know the uh, Christy Harrison, she's a podcaster and she has a great podcast called um, Food Psych. Um, and she wrote a book recently called Anti-Diet, Anti-Diet. So in terms of like your next read, that's the one I would recommend because she does such a better job than I do at kind of presenting all of this research and, um, just, yeah, a really great summer read if you're looking for something to read this summer. So uh, hopefully that's that's kind of the type of list you're looking for and I can certainly send you more to put in the show notes. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Don. And we'll have links to all of those resources that Don mentioned in the show notes for sure. So if you wanna check them out, um, just check out the show notes and you'll be easily linked to those websites or podcasts or books. And can I also mention that um, the, can I do a quick plug for my health coaching program? Yeah, do a plug. Yeah, so um, I train my uh, health coaches to provide weight inclusive care. And so just know that if you're wanting to meet with a health coach and um, you can is definitely so inexpensive. You can do one session for free, or if you want multiple sessions, you can do six sessions for only $20. And just know that when you're signing up for a health coaching session, um, you're going to receive weight inclusive care. Um, and so that's something that I certainly pride myself in. And if that does not happen, I need to know right away so I can help my health coaches um, if they're struggling in that area. But they are trying to certainly support people in making positive um, health supporting changes for those who are interested in making those changes lots of ways to do that where weight doesn't need to be part of that equation and if you're struggling with your um your body image they they can even share some tips for helping you in that journey to love and accept your bodies 
Awesome. That's such a good resource to have on campus, Don. Thanks for, for spearheading that. It's just amazing that we have that for students and faculty. Yeah, thank you. And um, how great that we have Megan um, <laughs> on our campus, the campus dietitian and part of this podcast who also um, practices from a weight inclusive approach. So I hope that students and faculty and staff will will sign up for UCAN sessions, will sign up to see Megan and know, um, trust that they won't be shamed or stigmatized for their bodies. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> we have a lot of great people on campus, so we're super lucky. Um, well, at the end of every podcast, we like to do a little um, four question rapid fire. So- Okay, how fun. <laughs> um, so the first question is tacos or burritos? Tacos. Most use emoji. Uh, probably the hand to face, like <laughs> face plant. Face. What is that called? Palm to face. Yeah. Face that. palm. Face palm. That's what it is. <laughs> that's on my top ten for sure. Um, favorite birthday cake. Carrot cake with cream cheese frosting. Yum. Um, and then finally, it's brunch. What do you eat? Hmm. My husband makes some really awesome crepes. Ooh, yum. Like chocolate crepes or what do you put inside? Yeah, we put in this um, cream cheese Cool Whip filling with strawberries. Yum. That sounds so good. Delicious. Well, awesome. Don, um, that is all the questions that we have for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and providing so much helpful information about weight stigma and um, the resources that people can explore if they're experiencing weight sim stigma or just want to learn more and become an ally. So thank you. Do you have any have anything else that you want to share before we sign off? No, just um, sincere thank you to you all for including this topic as part of your podcast and for having me. Um, what a pleasure it's been to have this platform to share this message that I'm so passionate about. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Don. Um, well, awesome. Again, check out the show notes for um, links to anything that Dawn mentioned, and um, we will see you all next month. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about weight bias with Dawn. Check out the podcast notes for resources discussed in today's episode. If you're looking for health tips to brighten up your Instagram feed, be sure to follow us at LiveWellNAU. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to the Live Well Lumberjack podcast for monthly episodes surrounding health, wellness, and so much more. Just so you know, we are finishing up for the spring semester. Look forward to more podcasts coming later on in the summer and in the fall. Thank you. Thank you.